A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Hi. Hi. We have a Patreon that you can subscribe to, patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. There'll be a link in the show notes where you can listen to ad-free episodes and bonus episodes. And we have like 300 episodes on Patreon of stuff that is not available on this feed. It's super easy to add to the podcast app of your choice. And you will also get a link to our Discord server and you can chat with us personally there. So this week or this past month, we've had a lot of new subscribers, including Caroline, Shannon, Karen, Susie, Glenda, Erica, Suzanne, Sharju, Laura, Kelly, April, Diana, Atticus and Banji, Shannon, Haley, Megan, Brooke, Ryan, Coco, Claire, Drew, um, Marsh K., Donovan, Alex, Katie, Tristan, Emma, Valentina, Lisa, Ashley, Heather, Aaron, Katie, Elba, G Mac Dog, J Mac Dog, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Gerardo, oh, Rico, <clears throat> Suave. I'm sure they've never heard that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love that song. I do too. Sarah, Nicole, Amy, Jamie, Lucille, Peregrine, Marley, Rye, Reagan, Reagan, sorry, Bill, Vicky, Angela. I'll stop there. Thank you so much. Desi, I said last mini episode that we were going to be doing Mary Kay Letourneau for this week's episode. And then I texted you like two days ago and I was like, I just, the, the scope of this is enormous. Right. I did end up finding a book, which I was reading some of the reviews on, and it does seem like this book might be a little bit sympathetic towards her, but um, there are, are like, mul- like a multitude of news articles. Anyway, just her whole family history is wild, and there's just, like, too much. It was too much, and I didn't really feel like it was in the holiday spirit, personally. It was kind of okay. bumming me out the more oh. I was researching it. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I just, it's definitely... We'll do it in the new year. I figured maybe we should have like Oscar movie March because oh. I feel like May, December is probably going to be nominated for some Oscars. For sure. I mean, looks that way. Oscar movie versus reality. There's yeah. lots of choices. For March? Isn't that when the Oscars is? I thought they were February. We could do either. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we'll think about it. this week. We are doing TV versus reality, forensic science. Ooh. Desi, there was so much science in my research wow. that there were moments where I felt like my brain was leaking out of my ears. <gasps> I needed you to assist me <laughs> because you're the scientist I'm on the show. happy to help. <laughs> so, so you might have to correct me. Okay. Um, no, Desi knows just as little as I do about science. Yeah, I think we have our own special cheese. <laughs> but you brought your sexy glasses. They're broken. They're, you brought your, you need some tape. Maybe I broke them during something hot. 
like we don't know. in the lab. <laughs> yes. <laughs> broke them in the lab. My Bunsen burner was heating up. Everybody on the show knows that I love crime procedurals. Mm. I've watched a ton of them. I love my favorites are Law and Order SVU and Criminal Minds. Yes. Those are like my favorite procedurals. I am currently watching the entirety of Bones, which is also a procedural mm-hmm. about forensic anthropology <laughs> and bones. Yeah. And the funny thing is, for as much as I love procedurals, I have never seen CSI, which is one of the biggest ones. But it had a different vibe. It, it was kind of like, I just remember it's like David Caruso is putting sunglasses on. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, who are you? Yeah. Or it's like some like rock and roll. That's the song. I was like, this is for Boomer. Like it's, it seemed older. It seems like it's skewed older to me, but I could be wrong. The vibes for CSI were like a little off for me. Well, and do you know how like people say, Crime and this kind of stuff appeals to women. That seemed very masculine, yeah, <laughs> appealing to me. I don't yeah. know why. CSI was like really butch, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what? Who knows? Maybe in the new year, I'll get into CSI. I mean, it's probably good. It's probably good. It's there's a reason that that show was on for like almost 20 years and it spawned several spinoffs, yeah, like CSI Miami, CSI New York, CSI Las Vegas, whatever, yeah. Damn, there's that many of them? I think so. God. And I do like David Caruso, and it is funny that he puts his sunglasses on, and then the... (laughs) (laughs) Like, that is very funny to me. But we are going to be starting this episode talking about a little phenomenon called the CSI effect. Okay. Now, this term emerged around 2003... And it was sparked by the prevalence uh, and popularity of procedural crime shows like CSI that depict criminal investigations. The phenomenon referred to the effect that these shows had on juries who had come to expect a lot of hard physical evidence in every single trial. Right. In a 2005 Scientific American article, a trace evidence analysis named Max Hoke referred to a case that involved a bloodstained coat. Quote, jurors were alarmed because no DNA testing had been done on the coat. Well, the wearer of the coat admitted to being at the murder scene trying to help the victim. So the lab had said that there was no reason to test it. He said he was there. TV has taught jurors about DNA tests, but not about when to use them. So that's like sort of what, I mean, it makes sense. We love our crime shows on TV. Right. We go... We get onto a jury and we think we're like, oh, I know how that test is done. I saw this on Law and Order. Right. The so-called CSI effect has been debated over the last 20 years to determine whether or not it really is a widespread phenomenon or or not. Yeah. Like some people are like, yeah, this does affect juries. And some people are like, eh, it's not that as big of a deal. as." Well, you'd have to think that um, no one's going to admit to it in a jury. Like, well, I know how it works because I saw it on... You know what I mean? Like, how do you get people to admit to it? Right. Yeah, is that one of the questions they ask you during voir dire? (laughs) Do you watch Law & Order? Do you watch... (laughs) Do you have a true crime podcast? Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's something that's maybe more vague, but like, do you you have an interest? Do you have a fascination with with criminal proceedings? Yeah. 
I mean, criminal it makes investigations, sense, right? Yeah, because it can buy it can it can bias you in certain ways, or at least make you think you're a know it all. Oh yeah, well, there's lots of know it alls on jur- juries, right? You I s- think you said you had an experience. I had one experience, and one. now I'm going to slander them all. <laughs> <laughs> this Scientific American article quotes. Firearms expert Richard Ernst, who remarked that the popularity of these shows can have an effect on incarcerated criminals as well, saying that some inmates have looked to CSI like shows to not get caught when they're committing a crime. When in fact, he says that they wind up leaving behind just different evidence. Interesting. He said, quote, a good example of that is instead of licking an envelope for fear of providing DNA in their saliva, they'll use adhesive tape. Well, they'll probably leave fingerprints on the tape and it'll pick up hairs and fibers from the surroundings. So the more effort you put into trying to evade detection, honestly, the more evidence you leave behind. Dexter knew. He covered everything. Dexter covered all of his bases. Yeah. He had that, you have to make your whole room plastic. Absolutely. Fans of crime shows, myself included, are very familiar with the different kinds of forensics that can go into solving a case. But just how different is what we see on television versus what happens in reality? Hmm. Well, Desi, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Starting with DNA testing. We all know the scene. The detective drops a bloody shirt off at the lab, and within minutes we see the lab techs extract the DNA from the shirt, plug the data into into a computer, and before you can say semen, they call the detective and give them the good news. It's a match. Cut to a team of cops busting down the door of a serial killer. Well, Desi. Yeah. The reality is a lot less dramatic than that. Well, I'm guessing it takes a little longer. It takes a long time. (laughs) DNA testing takes... A long time. It can take as long as months to yield an answer. The actual test of the sample will take between 24 to 72 hours, but the time that this DNA sample will wait to be tested can take weeks, if not months. Yeah. And then there's analyzing it. Right. There's analyzing what this sample means. Also, like factoring out other things that were picked up in the sample. Like it depends. Also, what kind of sample it is? Is it degraded? Is it? Is are, it are there m- other reasons that person's DNA might be there? Exactly. Yeah. It the reason a huge reason DNA analysis also will take a long time is because we in this country have a huge backlog yes. of evidence. This is a big problem, especially with rape kits. Yes, like it's bad. So. While DNA evidence has helped solve countless cases and free countless wrongfully convicted people over the last few decades, the analysis of DNA evidence is not infallible. So it's like the evidence itself is like science. Right. But like there still can be human error. And the interpretation of it. And the interpretation of it as well. A famous example of faulty DNA analysis is Amanda Knox who oh. was convicted in 2007 of murdering her roommate, Meredith Kircher, in Italy. Amanda's DNA was found on a kitchen knife. That knife turned up scant evidence of Meredith's DNA. The knife was tested several times to confirm that her DNA was on this knife, but that 
answer only appeared once in all of the tests that they did. Oh, interesting. Like it was never repeated. Yeah. Another horrifying example of DNA analysis gone wrong is the case of Lucas Anderson, who was arrested and charged with murder in 2012 when his DNA was found on the victim's fingernails. But Lucas was innocent. He had been at the hospital the night of the murder. He had a rock-solid alibi. Lucas did spend five months in jail before it was able to be determined that an EMT worker who had treated him had also worked at the crime scene the night of the murder. Oh, my God. And he transferred Lucas's DNA <gasps> to this crime scene and onto the victim. So he didn't even have a connection to the victim at all. Not at all. Yeah. You said he was at the hospital the night of the murder. He was, Lucas was at the hospital the night of the murder. So he got treated by that person, EMT. and then that person went to the next scene, which was a murder. Yeah. Oh, my God. And That's tra- scary. Isn't that scary? Yeah, because that can happen to anybody. It could happen to anyone. Another instance of this was in Europe when this like little old lady who worked at a Q-tip factory was arrested because her DNA was found at like six different crime scenes. But it turned out that her DNA was on the Q-tips that cops used to test DNA. Oh my God. Because she worked at a Q-tip factory. That's wild. That's crazy. Did she touch all the (laughs) Q-tips? Good point. I was also thinking the EMT didn't wash his hands in between clients. Like, I guess I guess it gets under their nails somehow. Maybe it doesn't get out. You you think you want to scrub? I think you'd scrub in between patients because people could have open wounds and like they could get serious infections, right? Yeah, I wonder what went down with this with these EMT workers who fuck because it was like a couple of them that were helping this guy in the hospital. Well, maybe they were so deep down embedded in their nails. Like even when they washed it, it didn't get out. Yeah, and they were probably really stressed like it's, it was probably like a really busy night. Yeah. We don't know, but I that's don't know, cr- but that's crazy. But that's super scary to me. The reality is your DNA can wind up all sorts of places. Yikes. It really can. But crime shows on TV will have you thinking that it's only the murderer's DNA that manages to stick around at a crime scene. Right. And it's always like, well, why is your DNA here? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> can't fake that. DNA evidence isn't the only evidence that gets analyzed at a lightning fast pace on TV shows. Toxicology reports also take longer than is portrayed on screen. Those take forever. I mean, we know that from if somebody famous dies, the toxicology report usually comes out like weeks later. Right. They're always like inconclusive until we get toxicology. And then it can be weeks and weeks. But on TV, it's much like the DNA test where it's like an hour later. Is this always just a backlog thing? Um, Or does it actually take long? Do you know what I mean? Like, Well, the DNA testing, like the actual test, if they have like a just like a good sample... Yeah. Like a really good sample, it's like between 24 hours and 72 hours. I'm not sure exactly how long the toxicology takes. But it, it, the, the thing about toxicology tests is they have to test for a lot of different things. Right. A toxicology report, of course, is where you find and measure drugs and alcohol and other toxins in, right. the, in the body. 
Forensic pathologist Dr. Judy Melanek says that talk screens can take... Oh, here we go. (laughs) I I, I wrote it down. It can take a minimum of two weeks to process. And that's like you said, they're not just like, it's not a one and one, one for all. They have to actually test for cocaine, for whatever, alcohol, like each one is individual. Yeah. And I've yeah. heard of cases where someone was poisoned by something like really out there and it's like, well, of course we didn't test for that. Right. And we've at least heard cases about things like that. They didn't know what it was because they weren't specifically testing for that poison or whatever. Exactly. Fingerprint analysis, as portrayed on TV, usually involves uploading an image of the fingerprints into a magic computer, and it's spitting out an exact match from a criminal database. The reality is that the results include several different potential matches, and then it requires a person who is specially trained to manually analyze the prints to compare. Yeah. So it's not just like lock... Like when it goes on the screen, beep, yes, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, it's not that where it just like flashes the profile and like all the stats of the guy who did it. Yeah, It's like, it's possibly these 10 different fingerprints. And that's if they're on in the database. Yeah, if they're even in the database. Yeah. So then, yeah, so then there needs to be like a specially trained fingerprint person to like look through each fingerprint and compare. Yeah. A lot of the technology on crime shows is super advanced, not realistic to what most investigators are working with. Robert Shaler, director of the Forensic Science Program at Penn State, says, The inaccuracies in these shows have to do with stretching the science beyond what normally occurs, or taking computer graphics and making science do something it can't. One of the most famous and absurd tropes on crime shows is the enhance function. On the computer (laughs) that takes a blurry still from surveillance footage and makes it in high def. You know what I'm talking about. It is so convenient, though, when they like pull it forward and sharpen it. (laughs) I'm just saying that would be a good invention. (laughs) It would be great if that existed. It's always like the most grainy fucking footage you've ever seen of like some guy in a baseball hat like walking through the scene right. and then the tech is like, wait a minute, wait a minute, zoom in on that. And it's like something in the background that's even more grainy. Right. And all of us have at some point in our lives tried to zoom in on something that gets worse the larger we make yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll be like, can we enhance this? And they like, sure. And they press a button and then it like is crystal clear. Well, it's also like, well, why not just always have it enhanced? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, why is that a button option? Just enhance the fucking picture. (laughs) Make Make the whole thing clear. There is a whole page on the site Know Your Meme about this. About the enhance? About zooming and enhancing. It is pretty funny, actually. Because it's like such a trope that people love. Well, because they're always like, let me see, right? And then they press some buttons and it always works. You know, it's like, it's never not worked. Or they always do it. It's like, what what does the patch on his backpack say? (laughs) It's always a patch or a logo. (laughs) A logo. It's like, oh, "Oh, that's the something something flag. Or like, like, oh, he works at the framing shop (laughs) down the street. No, it's always that. (laughs) Joe's Pizza. (laughs) (laughs) It's always, you're right. It's always like a logo (laughs) or something on their body that only like five people have that jacket. 
Yeah, or or a tattoo. Be like, I know what that symbol is. Because like, then the expert behind that person is like, wait a minute. That's the loco Rose Gang. <laughs> <laughs> so on the Know Your Meme page about the Zoom and Enhance is a YouTube video titled, Why I Don't Watch CSI. This video is a clip from a CSI episode in which star Gary Sinise pulls an image off of a reflection of a woman's cornea. Okay. The, now, now, <laughs> this is one of the craziest things I've ever seen that I cannot believe made it to television. I mean, I can already see how problematic this stuff is because when these shows, you're only limited by your imagination. <laughs> But they sell themselves as real in yeah. a way, right? Yeah. So people are going into trial and it's like, well, why don't you just pull that image off our cornea? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. people probably go in expecting all this stuff. Like that's what I've heard with the CSI effect. It's not that they're experts, but they think things can be done that can't be done. Yeah. And it's like, well, why don't you just do this? Because believe it or not, there are people in this country that are even dumber than me and Desi. Yeah. Like we at least scary. know we are. We at least know we're dumb. We're like, no, we're being dumb right now. So this scene is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Basically, it's like Gary Sinise and his like some lady are at the computer and they're looking at a grainy, the classic grainy still from surveillance. And he's like, wait a minute. See those sh- zoom in. Yeah, yeah. in they always see something <laughs> none of us see. Yeah. We're just like, it's a picture of a woman. He's like, he, no, closer. He's like, see those shadows? I think someone's in the frame, but we can't see them. Zoom in more. Zoom in, enhance. And then he's like, bingo. Zoom in on her cornea. <laughs> of this woman and it's, and it's a bl- clear crystal clear picture of, of the some assailant. guy yeah it's crazy no whenever they look at those things and see things i'm just like is are they all like the most observant people in the world like because it's just like hang on a minute they always see things that i've never would have noticed <laughs> yeah. even if i was looking i'm like no. oh it looks normal to me um it is absurd to say the least. See, that makes me want to watch it, though. Because it's like, oh, they're inventive. I like that. Yeah, it does make me want to watch CSI. Because, like, after seeing that clip this week, I'm yeah. like, wait, are all the episodes like this? Yeah, because I'll watch that's it. That's crazy. Like, that makes, that's <laughs> funny to me. That's so wild. Yeah. I will totally watch it. I will it. say I, I am intrigued now. I'm intrigued, that, too. That did more for me than any David Caruso <laughs> promo. And I like David Caruso, too. The promos were just funny to me. No, that scene literally like sold me on the show. I couldn't. I was trying to remember who took over for Caruso. <laughs> I forgot it was Gary <laughs> But they always have a star for each um, location, right? Yes. It's like a different big kind of ex-movie star. And I don't know who is the stars for each each one. I feel like when I, if you told me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's New Yorker. Like, He's, isn't there a Miami one, right? It's like, I'm pretty sure it's Miami, New York. In Las Vegas. Look at us. Yes. Up. Okay. CSI locations. Did they do an LA one? How do they not have an LA? But then there's also like NCIS. And to be honest, I know it stands for like naval something, like naval crime scene. Is that with Mark Harmon? That's, yes. And the one with Polly Perrette. Uh, wait, wait, which one is Polly Perrette? I thought that N-C- was CSI. No, that's NCIS. So people don't like her. 
I don't understand. Is wait, NC- C- oh wait, William Peterson used to be on CSI. So I think um, David Caruso was Miami. He wasn't like OG. No, William Peterson is OG uh, of CSI. So you know who he is. Who's he that? played uh, Hannibal in Manhunter, oh. or he played um, not Hannibal. The no, other that's one. Brian Cox. He played um, the detective. Yes, um, I can't remember his name right now. So he's the original. Will. Yeah, he's the original um, CSI, and he's also really uh, full of himself. <laughs> I remember. What, I think that was another reason I was a little turned off by it because he seems c- kind of like above it yeah but it's like it's csi dude like yeah calm the fuck down so david caruso he's he did miami that's why he's wearing sunglasses oh well that gives it more context that gives it more context because i remember when he came out it was like miami but he put csi on the map for me absolutely so csi new york um i'm trying to see who's the lead on that okay CSI New York is Gary Sinise. Okay. So that so was the clip from CSI New York. And then there's CSI Vegas. Well, that's got to be a good one. Yeah. So that's, oh, I don't know. Paula Newsom. I don't, I don't know many of these people. It looks like some of the people from the regular CSI and other people I don't know. They got transferred. There's also CSI Cyber. Ooh. Now that looks good. And that one stars Patricia Arquette and James Vanderbeek. What? And Peter McNichol. What? I know we both love. Ted Danson. <laughs> Wait, this sounds amazing. Wait, <laughs> Patricia Arquette and James Vanderbeek? Come on. That's crazy. This is from 2016. So this is already, this was only two seasons. That sounds fun. We should watch that. We should get on the CSI train. Okay, let's get on the CSI let's get train. The CSI train. Should we start from the first series? Let's start series? from the first one so we can get a, a and then we feel. do Miami. Yeah, Miami. We'll just next. start when Miami airs. We'll start it with the regular. Yes, CSI. yes. So we'll have multiple going because I bet there's a backdoor pilot. Oh yeah. See, I know some of these names. Georgia Fox. Remember, I always see her name around. Lawrence Fishburne is in it. Elizabeth Shue is in CSI at some point. Damn, 15 seasons? This is a lot. That's right, William Peterson. Okay, now it's all coming back to me. It is a little more male or masculine. Yeah, it doesn't seeming. have it doesn't have the um female gaze like Law and Order SVU. No. <laughs> no. With the tender Mariska Hargitay. I bet you these women are like a little tougher. Yeah. <laughs> they're a little like, meaner. They're like a little like the Kelly McGillis, right? They're a little colder. Yeah, we'll see. We'll be we'll we'll be, be the judge of that. It'll be interesting because maybe maybe Criminal Minds is mid. It's in the middle. I feel like Criminal Minds has um, is made for women. Okay, because it has like hot guys. Mm, yes, it has hot guys and it has um, and hot guys for all age. Like you got Mandy Patinkin, you, got but Mandy, you also got uh, Shamar Moore. You got Shamar Moore, and you got some people are into Thomas Gibson if they want like, a lot a little, of daddy. That's like they want a husband. They want a husband. <laughs> he's very he's a husband. provider. He's a provider <laughs> energy. And then there's um, oh, Penelope and- Garcia who just gives off like your um, gay best friend. Because everyone, the women who watch that relate to her. They relate and to like her. And like her. Yeah. And there's also um, Spence, Spencer. Who's hot in his own way. He, for like the little, you know, for like those little skinny nerds. For the nerd girls. <laughs> <laughs> the, the He's little, like a safe. 
He's right? a, he's, he's like a, the Justin Bieber. He's a, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I absolutely we were analyzing. We're, you know what? I think we're right though. I zoom in, right. <laughs> zoom in, enhance. We just enhanced and zoomed in on CSI and figured it out. You know what though? It it is interesting to me to figure out which one of these, like what they're what they're going for. Why is their show a little different? Right? Like, I love that, and I love. Yeah. I mean, it's true. It's like Bones is a totally different vibe than all of these. Also, yeah, Bones is like, like I said, it's a little silly. Yeah, and I. And I'm not usually into silly. No, because criminal minds will have silly moments, but it's not very long. It's not very long and... It's not the vibe of the show. It's not the vibe. It's a way more serious tone. And I like accidentally funny. Me too. That's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Do you remember... Did you ever see... (laughs) Somebody tweeted this clip from Uh. SVU... From an episode where Mariska Hargitay is like in the interrogation room and she's like, he's like, did you kill Mr. Parsley? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that many times. (laughs) Mr. Parsley. And it's just so funny. But it's like dead serious. Yeah. Serious music is playing. No, it's so funny. Um, I guess this is a good place to take a break when we come back we're going to talk about the real life technology that may be allowing us to zoom and enhance <gasps> cliffhanger hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. A 2019 Vox article by Kelsey Piper talked about how the Zoom-enhanced TV trope may soon be a reality with AI. So, yeah, I know. It's not not as exciting because the AI is essentially like filling in what they think is there. So that seems like it could be a lot of mistakes happening. Well, I saw the... I saw like... On the Vox article, they had like all these examples of like a blurry photo of someone's face, and then the AI made like their nose on their fucking forehead. Oh my god! Or whatever. Yeah. Like, I mean, some of it was like okay, you could you could might be able to like pick someone out. Like, it might be helpful, right? But this technology needs to improve. Um, the Vox piece says, "quote In a new paper recently accepted to a machine learning conference." called Progressive Face Super Resolution via Attention to Facial Landmark by researchers at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. Detailed faces are reconstructed, like from all these blurry images. Right, so... A year earlier in 2018, students at Duke University used AI to sharpen blurry images. On duketoday.edu... They said the technology is super called super resolution imaging. After working on their methods for just over two months last spring, the Duke data science team was one of the top ranked teams in the NTRE 2018 super resolution challenge held last year in June in conjunction with the conference on computer vision and pattern recognition in Salt Lake City, Utah. Based on what it learned by analyzing these pairs of photos, the system then takes a new, noisy, low-res image, works out what a clearer, sharper version should look like, and mathematically fills in missing pixels, essentially creating new information that wasn't there before. Now, I saw these images, and they were kind of like stock images of like a flower, a guy climbing a mountain a bumblebee, whatever. And it was like, you could tell what the image was kind of in the blurry photo. And the AI was basically like sharpening the photo. What they need to do is take a picture of someone in the dark on surveillance video. Yeah. So we know what they look like and then see what AI says they look like. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like recreate what that would be used for. Recreate what it would be used for. And then we'd have the person so we would know how close they get. Yeah. That would I'd like, be a good test. I'd like to see it. Not a fucking bumblebee. <laughs> I like, I'm picturing what the stock image bumblebee looked like yeah, too. It's like, where it's like very clear what it is, even yeah. if you're not AI. You're yeah. like, it's a bumblebee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was stuff like that. 
where it was like, okay, I mean, it's still cool. And it's like shows that that technology could be used for something. See, this is the kind of stuff I want. I mean, unless it like, I mean, but that's the other thing is like, it is kind of scary with this kind of AI because it could also be really harmful to people if the AI gets it wrong. Well, with the, the thing with AI is it's only as good as what you put into it, right? Yeah. So it's going to go off of what it has at its disposal, not necessarily uh, what the person might look like, right? Do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just going to create not, something based on what they have. Yeah, it's not a psychic. I mean, I could see this is like one of those things I'll put in the category of like that could be interesting evidence to lead you somewhere, but it's not something I'm going to rely on. It shouldn't be definitive evidence. Yeah. yeah, it it brings up a lot of it brings up a lot of issues for sure. I mean, look, AI kind of scares me. I'm going to be honest. I think that there could be good uses for AI, but do I trust us? No, I do not trust the human race to do, to not fuck it up. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's like yeah. Come that's on. what it all comes down to for me because it's us in charge. It's us in charge. Yeah, and I, I feel like there are people I know who use it for certain things. Where I'm like, that seems fine, but ultimately, like I said, where are they getting the information that they put in? Are they stealing it from artists, from other writers, like to create yeah. stuff? I don't know. Well, it's then weird. it's like deep fake stuff scares the shit out of me too. Yeah, I mean, I've seen stuff where it looks real. We got to stop this before it gets out of control. Or the sound. Did you hear like... I oh, I don't remember. like that. I they really did, they don't like They like recreated that. like a Jay-Z song or something. I can't remember Where who it was. Where they used someone's voice. And, make, and it sounded exactly like him. No, I don't like that. Yeah, that's creepy. I really don't like that. Hmm. Um, I think it's weird and I don't like it. Anyway. Forensic anthropologist and inspiration for the TV show Bones, Kathy Reichs, told NPR in 2012... That while the advanced equipment on that show exists, it's not available to most forensic anthropologists. Right. They use a lot of really high-tech stuff on Bones because Bones takes place at the fictional Jeffersonian Institute. Where it all started. (laughs) (laughs) It's where all the... Forensic anthropology, it's like the number one spot. It's, it's the Quantico. It's, the, it's their Quantico for bones mm. and like archaeology. Okay. So it's like they have like a whole warehouse in the basement where it's just like full of artifacts. Lots of bones. And bones. Mm. Like if you're into bones, you go to the Jeffersonian. And you're like, oh, Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, you look, the jackpot. At the, look at that Olna. Yeah. Wow. You picture this guy picking it up and just being like, oh. Oh, Nolna. This is a rare. (laughs) I can't even be nerdy enough. (laughs) Um, So, yes, this technology exists, but it's like if you're at like a prestigious institute using it. Right. Not every little police department in the country is accessing it. Yeah. Glowing blood. Mm. We've all seen it. You mean luminol? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I haven't seen glowing black. <laughs> We've all seen it. The investigator pulls out a black light and suddenly the room is filled with splotches of blue neon. Ugh. That's not true. I love that. <laughs> it is, you were right about the luminol. Okay. It's not the black light that makes the blood glow. It's the luminol. Right. But sometimes you just see them pull out a light. I see. You got to spray shit on that first. Yeah. So 
Blood will only glow if luminol is sprayed on the area first. Underneath the UV light, blood actually appears black. Okay. So if you just have the light, it'll be like a dark... A dark stain. A dark stain. The U.S. Department of Justice website notes that not many investigators are even trained to work with luminol (gasps) because it's a hazardous chemical and must be safely prepared in a lab. Luminol won't necessarily reveal a substance is definitively blood either because sometimes it's like bleach. Or semen. Or cum. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're going to be scientific about it, yes. If there is like some kind of like... Bodily fluid. Fluid or bleach. But seeing black stains everywhere is probably just as good to test, right? As opposed to seeing neon blue? I mean, not for TV's sake, you want to see neon. I'm just saying if they put the black off and see some dark black stains, that might be helpful. Well, here's the context of how like, and when you, luminol is generally used. A How Stuff Works article about luminol says that this kind of testing can be used as a single step in an investigation. For example, it can reveal a trace amount of blood somewhere that will then lead to a bigger amount of blood being found, such as underneath a carpet. Right, because they've cleaned up yeah. the blood on top. And the neon is enough, even a speck will glow, so you yes. see it. right? So that's why you want it to be neon as opposed to like just a black smudge, because right, right, right. that could be, it might be anything. But and you then just, we all, we've all seen them when they pull the carpet up. And then the under carpet is a huge red stain. And they're like, wow, bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah, they got Or them. sometimes when they flip the mattress over. I know. It's kind of like, what were you thinking? You just get rid of that mattress. You gotta- if you're going to have a huge blood stain on the bottom of your... Don't flip it. <laughs> that blood stain on the under carpet <laughs> pad is always so fucking funny. Because it's, it's so predictable, right? We've all seen... Wait, rip, rip up the carpet. Rip yeah. up the carpet. And they just start tearing at it. And yeah. it's huge. Yeah. Um, and there's usually some nice hardwood floors under there. They shouldn't even have that carpet. Why down. was Would the carpet solved all their problems? <laughs> um, the jobs of investigators on TV are also often wildly exaggerated. On TV, an investigator will saunter into a crime scene and just start picking up and looking at shit. Yeah, but in reality, the crime scene must first be secured. Only certain people are allowed onto the scene. You can't just have the whole team. Picking in, up family photos. Picking up in their low-cut <laughs> blouses and heels, coming in, stirring shit up. Also, a warrant has to be provided by a judge. If any, Even in a crime scene? If anybody other than the victim lives there. Oh. So you got to like go through the district attorney who has to go through the du- judge. Wow. I didn't realize that you had to do that for a crime scene. If other people live there. Damn. Yeah. That's crazy. So, I, I, yeah. I mean, look, that's what it said. Okay. That's what it said. I mean, I have no idea. I just never even thought of it. Um, I mean, it just has to be like, it, it's probably very easily obtained. Of course. It's not like it's difficult to obtain this more, but they just, what I mean is like certain protocols, like there is a right. bunch of little steps in place. Before everyone goes in. Yeah. I mean, obviously they take precautions to make sure that the crime scene is secured first. Right. So it's, people and are, it's one of those things where we, we don't want to watch that. We I don't, don't want to see you getting a warrant or securing. I just want you to walk in. Just get, Let's get going on the investigation. 
because we do protocol because we do want to see them picking up all the people's shit in the house. Oh, I love that. I want to see them look at this, and it's like a family photo. Looks like he was divorced with this (laughs) extreme divorce dad energy. I'd investigate. Yeah. I'm like, oh, very interesting. Yeah. He has a Billy the Bass on it. Like, I'd be like judging their character based on what they had in their house. Opening like, their fridge. Totally. Oh my God. You know how much we could find out from we, that? We. This is why we should be CSIs because I could solve the case just by knowing what they're eating. Absolutely. I would figure out so much information. I'm always, whenever there's food evidence in a crime, I'm always like, what? oh, wait, what? Like also, that was their last meal. Also, that's so disgusting that they are able to figure out what someone ate. Oh, that's embarrassing. Like, I know that's going to happen to me. It's like, looks like her last meal was uh, McDonald's French fries. <laughs> it's going to be like naming off what, what's in my stomach. But it's also going to be way more than just McDonald's. Like, and then it looks like she also uh, ate a few chips Ahoy. <laughs> No, it's gonna it's gonna be like, and she had a smoothie for breakfast, so she's trying. <laughs> she's trying to be healthy. Then something happened, and she went to McDonald's. She was an emotional eater, <laughs> and that could tell you a lot. They're gonna read me. They're gonna mm. read you for felt when they do your autopsy, does he? Mm. So it's very it's a very secure scene. At least you hope it is, because we it have, should be. We have certainly covered cases before where crime scenes are compromised. By the investigators. Yeah, and, and you're like, what are you doing, guy? And it's even we know that. Mm-hmm. It's infuriating. But this is supposed to be a very secure scene. Now, the CSI only deals with the physical evidence at the scene. They don't talk to the witnesses. Because that's something else you see. You see the, the, the guys show up. They're picking up all the evidence. It's sort of like they have the David Caruso guy who is like the... The detective, but also a crime scene analyst at the same time. It's like they combine right. the jobs, which I think they did a good job on Dexter with, because he was very specifically the blood analysis splatter guy. Yeah, right. Like, and then they had the detectives were separate. Right, but the detectives aren't going through the scene like picking shit up necessarily. It's like all that stuff gets taken back to the lab. Are detectives ever on the scene? Because they'd be there to interview anyone who might be there. I don't know. Because that doesn't have to do with forensics, so I didn't look into that. But I, I'm I should have looked into that. No, it's fine. Because I, I wonder if there's any reason for a detective to be there when they're collecting evidence. Well, the detective will be there to talk to witnesses, I think. Yeah. But basically, when you see on TV, you see like just a guy... Or like the team on the show, they're just sort of like doing everything. Yeah, like Mandy Patinkin's picking something up with tweezers and sticking it in a bag. And he's also talking to the neighbor next door. Yeah. And which, he's like questioning them with psychology. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which those two things like wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, so the evidence gathered at the scene often gets analyzed by various special specialists in a lab, which we do see that on TV shows. But as we mentioned before, some of the technology they use is ridiculous. Like not every department has access to um, like the insane holographic machine they have on bones that can like recreate a 3D image of someone. Ooh. It's really crazy. No, the police department's have wildly different... uh, It varies. Yeah. It really does vary. One of the most ridiculous examples of TV inflating the job description of criminal investigators takes place on a show that I love, 
Criminal Minds. Mm. Criminal Minds centers on a team of criminal profilers at the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit. The team puts together profiles of the criminals in order to catch them. They're also assisted by their tech whiz, Penelope Garcia, who operates on a magical computer that can spit out hyper-specific information about people that has no business being documented. For example, show me white males in Kentucky between the ages of 25 and 30 who went to summer camp and also have a shellfish allergy. Yeah. Garcia will type in those parameters, and within seconds, the computer spits out a list of five dudes that match that description. Then... One of the agents, like Aaron Hotchner, will say, Garcia, narrow it down to men who got a hand job at a Dave Matthews concert. She'll type it in. One guy will pop up. And then we see his, his face. And we're like, that guy got a hand job. <laughs> <laughs> and the very next scene, they're busting down this guy's door. And he's jerking off to crash. And he- <laughs> <laughs> While killing Wait, someone. Wait, whoa. <laughs> Knock. Uh, <laughs> In reality, the agents at the BAU are not going into the field. Derek Morgan, <sighs> as hot as he is, he is not busting down any doors. He's an egghead at a desk. Yeah. They're they're in an office. I mean, I've seen a lot of behavior, because that's one of my favorite is the behavioral, obviously, from way back when. And yeah, I never because I read a lot of those books by the like the books by those people like John Douglas and whoever, and they're not ever talking about going into the field unless no. it's interviewing people after the fact um, to get gather information for research for purposes. Research. It's not like they're solving a case. No, it's, to cre- it's like to create more information to help people in the future. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're working together in an office. Then they're interviewing serial killers after the fact. They're never arresting people. Well, there's no point to them coming to the scene. It's just funny. Yeah. But, um, well, obviously in a TV show, we need them to be in the action. Yeah. Cause it yeah. would be really boring. No. If they didn't ever like, we we're just like out there waiting. Okay. What happened? Yeah. Did they get back to us? <laughs> solve it we sent them the profile right did they get it it? (laughs) do they like it wait refresh your email again keep refreshing because you'd want to we'd have to always be wondering what they thought did it it help did they like like it it? like that that's how we would be did they like our profile i really like the part where i added this like that little detail is pretty funny yeah I know I'd constantly be wanting their feedback. And then if like I didn't hear back, I'd be like, they're mad at me. Yeah. Did you guys like the part I said? (laughs) Did you guys like where I said that? That was for me. (laughs) That just made made me laugh. Um, This also leads me to believe that unlike on Criminal Minds, BAU agents are probably not being routinely stalked and threatened by serial killers. Yeah. Because on Criminal Minds, at some point during the during each season, some member of the team is gonna be threatened by a serial killer. There's a personal vendetta yeah. about with someone. That's something I honestly love about procedural shows is how like some prolific serial killer 
knows the agent by name or the detective by I've name. I've read your book. <laughs> they had always read their book too. Yeah, and they're like a huge fan. Yeah. No, Gideon, like the first season, he had like four stalkers who were huge fans. Yeah. <laughs> So that's like in his contract. Like ima- and they have to be a fan of mine. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine being such a stan of basically a psychologist. Well, I think this is also like goes back to Hannibal, right? Yes. Like that's like the first sort of time we had this person who wants to kind of interact with law enforcement because he's the expert, right? And there's yeah. some kind of like... um you know, macho kind of like whatever dig measuring contests between them. Uh, I mean, there might be other instances of that between criminal and, and cop or whatever, in investigator. Media. Yeah, where they're like kind of, but in the end they have to work together. Like, because <laughs> that's happened in Criminal Minds too, where it was like the enemy, but he's the only person who would know how this bomb works. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, I have to work with this piece of shit. Well, there's this one... Because each agent in, at some point has like an adversary. Like each agent during the course of 15 seasons has someone who like just terrorizes them, right? So Detective Rossi, who is Joe Mantegna, there's this guy. He, he gets it. I mean, a lot of them get it really bad, but this guy, he gets owned pretty hard <gasps> by the guy who has it out for him. Ooh. Basically... The serial killer makes a deal with David Rossi. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you where the rest of the bodies are buried, but I'm only going to tell you like one at a time. And I'm only going to tell you on your birthday and you have to come down to the prison every year on your birthday and I'll tell you another name. And you have to remove one more piece of clothes. <laughs> it's like a strip <laughs> poker. <laughs> oh God. But he makes, he makes him come down to the prison on his birthday. Oh my God. That's so mean. And he does it every year. That's like a big episode. Because he needs to get justice for this family. Of course. He does it every fucking year. And he hates it, but he does it for the family. Yeah. Remember that episode, season one, where I was like, this was a very emotional episode. Oh, Ride the Lightning or whatever. (laughs) That one was good. That was a great episode. But that was very similar where they had to like play the game of the killer to get what they needed. Yes. Yeah. But it was like so sad. Um. So yeah, they're they're not in the mix like that in real life. But the BAU is real. Is it called the BAU? It is. Oh. There are actually five different branches of the BAU. Oh. So there is Behavioral Analysis Unit 1, Counterterrorism, Arson, and Bombing Matters. Ooh. Number two, Threats, Cybercrime, and Public Corruption. Number three, crimes against children. Number four, crimes against adults, VICAP. Number five, research strategy and instruction. So that seems like the boring one. Those are the paper pushers. (laughs) (laughs) Like imagine if you get assigned to that one. You're like, oh, you don't think I'm badass? No. You think I can just be like, actually, our analysis shows that this is the procedure that is the most effective. Right. It's like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Here's the rules. Here's the, those are the <laughs> I came up with these, some rules. These are the hall monitors yeah, of the BAU. No one wants that. So as we discussed, actually we didn't discuss, but we'll discuss it right now. Okay. 
One of my favorite things about shows like Criminal Minds, Law and Order SVU, is sort of the remarkable and sometimes seemingly unbelievable ways that these crimes are solved. Yeah. Where it seems like a by chance piece of evidence or a scientific feat that is beyond my comprehension because I'm not good at science. Yeah. So I found some remarkable ways that real life crimes have been solved. Ooh. That we're going to go through. The Soham murders in the UK is a famous example of some pretty interesting science helping to solve this case. Just a tiny bit of background. Ten-year-olds Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman went missing in August of 2002. Their bodies were discovered 13 days later in a ditch 10 miles from their homes. The murderer was later determined to be Ian Huntley. This case was actually helped solved in part by plants. Ooh. Dr. Patricia Wiltshire, a forensic ecologist discovered a path of flattened nettles near the bodies that indicated where the bodies had been carried from. Based on the regrowth of new nettle shoots in this path, she was able to determine when the bodies were dumped. Ooh. She saw these little baby shoots and was like, these are 13 days old. Yeah. I'm a nettles expert. (laughs) (laughs) I like that they're nettles. I'm sorry. British. (laughs) Um, according to the age newspaper, quote, she also noted more than 60 shrubs, trees, wildflowers, and herbs, and gathered pollen and spore samples. Their unique configuration showed that Huntley had put down a petrol container before pouring the fuel over the bodies and setting them on fire. Minute botanic particles on his shoes and in his car also linked him to the rubble and chalk track. Another expert told the court that the chalk was from a local seam 97 million years old, give or take 500,000 years. It matched debris on a suspension arm of Huntley's car. Okay, but this woman has got to be the basis for a British um, crime drama where she's like an old lady who's a gardener, but she's also like a doctor and a forensic ecologist. ecologist, where she's also, that's her expertise. And she always is making tea. Yes. And she's in her garden and she gets called. She's like, okay, I'll be right there. I would the love this show. Yeah. The Nettles. The Nettle Chronicles. <laughs> Wait, copyright. Don't steal it. And it's going to be a BBC show even though we're American. I, I wouldn't even be surprised if it exists. It should exist. Wait, isn't there... I feel like I have seen a show where it was like an older woman and she was Murder, very... she wrote? No. <laughs> it was British. Oh. <laughs> But I do like the idea of having like a plant angle. Yes, it's very... Where plants solve the crime. Yeah, I like that too. Here's another example of a time... You're going to love this one. In 2013, David Hilder's own cat (gasps) helped him get convicted of manslaughter. Look, the cat had to do what it had to do. (laughs) (laughs) Hilder got into an argument with his friend David Guy and ended up stabbing him in the chest and killing him. He then dismembered him and dumped the body parts in various locations. Cat hair from Hilder's cat named Tinker was discovered on a curtain which had been used to wrap the victim's torso. That's crazy. This guy's own cat 
Should it should it not fed him fancy feast? He wanted that. <laughs> he fancier. wanted some upgrade. He wanted fancier feast. He wanted fancier feast. Yeah. The USA Today reported Britain's cat DNA database helps convict killer. Oh, this is another Britain case. It's in Britain. Okay. They said a newly created DNA database of British cats helped convict a killer. A British university said Wednesday, illustrating how even pets' genetic material can be a boon to forensic scientists. That's why the cat's name is Tinker. Because he tinkered. That's a very British cat name. Is Tinker. <laughs> Tinker. 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 What's that? Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy. Isn't that like a British movie? <laughs> it's with Gary Oldman. That's right. Another example of remarkable science is a story that we reported on once for a mini episode. This is from The Guardian. Half-eaten sausage helps German police solve cold case. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this story? Yes. Just to recap, German police say they solved a nine-year-old burglary case after DNA found on a half-eaten piece of sausage matched that of a man detained in France over an unrelated crime. So they had this guy detained on a different charge, and then I guess the cops came up to him, and they're like, oh, yeah? Well, we got bad news. Your yeah. DNA was found on a sausage in a different crime. Because this guy robbed someone and ate half of a sausage while he was robbing them, right? Yeah. Police in the western town of Schwelm said on Thursday the sausage belonged to the victim. And the suspect, and the suspect, a 30-year-old Albanian citizen, appeared to have helped himself to a bite during the break-in in Gelvesburg in March 2012. I like that he just didn't eat the sausage. He took a bite. That's ruder. <laughs> was it just a little bite? <laughs> like, why? Because he didn't finish it? Was it not good? It says it was not clear what type of sausage. Thank you. Known in Germany as worst, the burglar had nibbled, though police said it was a hard variety. So like a salami? <laughs> that's, that's a salami. Who wrote this article? <laughs> I do like the where they're going. They are asking the right questions. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're trying to figure out, but I would have appreciated a picture of the sausage. I really... See, this is why I can never be an investigator, because I'm like, okay, but you got to tell me. I, I say, stop. Stop. Tell me exactly what it tasted like. Why did you just take a bite? Was it bad? <laughs> Was it undercooked? Did you not like the sausage? Like, why don't you just eat the whole thing? I need to know. No, why? don't worry about your confession. Tell me about the sausage. Yeah, we get in so much trouble. Um, and our final weird piece of evidence is crazy. This story is very sad, but. It has one of the most bizarre pieces of evidence I've ever heard of at a scene. 20-year-old Christina Sanobain was found brutally murdered in her Cedar Rapids home on September 4th, 2000. But one of the strangest pieces of evidence left at the scene was a hamburger bun with a toe print on it. What? They were able to lift a print from a hamburger bun. Someone stepped on a hamburger bun. That must have had some grease on it or something, right? Oh, yeah. Because there must have been something for the print to kind of latch onto. 
I don't know how they did this scientifically. Or was it in the ketchup? They like, just said it was a ham on a hamburger bun. Maybe it was. They didn't see these are the questions we need to know. No, because I'm curious what got the print, right? Like, yeah, was it just the dry bun or was there ketchup? Okay, this is interesting. It was, they, they arrested this guy. They, they convicted this guy. Because how did they even think to test the bun for a toe print? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, did it look like it had a print on it? I, like, it looked so toe like. They're like, that's a toe print. Some guy stepped on this bun. Right. Like, it's not a shoe print, which I could see. Maybe you see the bun got stepped on. Yeah. And it had like a black <laughs> it shoe print. was just print. one toe. But that is so crazy. <laughs> could you imagine stepping on a hamburger bun during the commission of a crime? No. I, <laughs> maybe you don't even notice you're in such a state. Why was he barefoot? That's disturbing. Why did he have no shoes on? This, was it his hamburger? Whose hamburger was it? People are like, ladies, there was a murder. <laughs> Can you no. stop asking about the hamburger bun? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is a famous case because I Googled it and there were like so many fucking people on Reddit who were like, what's your favorite episode of Forensic Files? Definitely the one where the guy stepped on the hamburger bun. <laughs> I'm I'm shocked I don't remember this because I was a huge forensic files girl back in the day. Yeah, that was like my show. I loved right. that one, and like I can't remember what it's called, like Murder Farm. What? Do you know where the one where they're like let dead bodies rot everywhere so well, they can like investigate? Those are real. I know. When this you, was a real show, when you learn about decomposition, you go to these murder farms. They exist. Yeah, it's literally fields of rotting bodies at different levels at different levels it's and crazy you, you see the effect of like bugs and the maggots bugs. oh my god man that show was so gross i never I was watched obsessed. it um but yeah forensic files that's a good I, one. when i first watched that i was like i'm so smart i watch forensic files. I, you know me i just love my science <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite thing about Forensic Files? And I really hope you remember this. Do you, do you remember what the narrator sounds like? I mean, vaguely. Um, the narrator of Forensic Files always does this thing where he's like talking pretty normally throughout like the whole episode. But then as the episode's like wrapping up at the end, he starts talking like really urgently. And yes. he's like recapping what happened. But then the woman came. She's just like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking but about. But he kind of also sounds like he's on the verge of coming. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so excited. Because he's got to get out the whole the whole wrap up well, so in like, like two minutes. Yeah, because sometimes. Because the credits even start rolling. Yes, sometimes. He's kind of rushing. He's got to finish it. Like, I get stressed out. No, it is stressful. It is stressful. When those credits pop up and it's like, no, he's still talking. He's still. We've got the meat of the case. We don't need to wrap it up. It's like, it's always so abrupt. It's so abrupt. All of a sudden it's like, and then she walked into the garage and that's where the gun was. I remember sometimes looking at, I was like, this episode's almost over. And no. I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> the wrap up was so abrupt. But oh his my voice, God. something happens to his voice. Like he, I know exactly what you're talking and about. And it stressed me out It's so really much. stressful. <laughs> no, the best, my favorite narrator was City Confidential, Paul Winfield, because he's like, in this town, 
had like he had like this really like storyteller like because you'd always get like a little narration about what the town was like. You know, it was always like you know everybody knows their neighbor here. Nothing has happened. It's just like that whole like ramble where you get the whole town history. Yeah, I love that show. Oh, He's a like one. a Keith Morrison. Yeah, it was so. I was such an A and E girl. Mm. <laughs> I liked my Bill Car- Bill Curtis. All of his shows I watched. Annie had some bangers. That was like the big true crime channel for a while. It really was. Back in the day. It really was. I mean, Forensic Files, that was an Annie. That might have been like the learning channel or something. History. I can't remember. It was, I'm like, it was channel like 55. Like that was my memory. Yeah. It was like up there. <laughs> Annie um, was more like 21. I know I've talked about this before, but I just want to reiterate because uh, it's been a few years since I talked about this show, but. Um, I don't remember what channel. It's on one of those channels. Maybe it's something. But it's called I Almost Got Away With It. Oh, yeah. And the reenactments are the best in the biz. That, best in the biz. That's my favorite show title ever. I almost got away with it. It's like I almost, in parentheses, got away with it. <laughs> that's what it is. Oh, my God. It's, why? It's such a good show. There's a lot of good crime shows, but... I'll always have a special affection for the early ones. Yeah. Because they it was a they were like higher quality. Yeah. Like forensic files, you mean? I just feel like now now it's like you could find a real banger, like evil lives here. Right. But sometimes it's just like it's like my neighbor's evil, my daughter's evil. <laughs> There's like a different version. It's like when daughters kill, when when sons kill, when <laughs> grandchildren kill. It's like the same version of a sh- show, but they're trying to make it specific in some way, and they, they're really put together very fast. They've got they've gotten so hyper specific now, and that's. I mean, yeah. Look, I Discovery Plus should honestly sponsor our show. Like I, because we love Discovery Plus, we love their content. Um, but they. They have like all of those shows. Right. Cause like Evil Lives Here is like high quality, like very well done. It's very and well done and creepy. But there's so many shows within that genre on Discovery Plus that are like so hyper specific, like you said. Right. And some of them are good, like the one about the neighbors. I love I love Fear Thy Neighbor. Yeah, that one's great. And you could tell it's good because they have a good title. It yeah. was like, that's a great title and You're, it's accurate to what the show is about. Because that <laughs> one centers around, like, it always starts with a feud. And you could picture there being a million stories with neighbor feuds. Where it escalates. Yes. Like, that's, I have no trouble believing they'll never run out of stuff. Right. The other ones, you're like, come on, where's this? There's got to be some that are not going to be that great. But yeah. Anyway, well, We'll see you very soon for the mini episode. Okay. And uh, thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.